1: Liz Wheeler Show, episode 436, take one. This is hands down the craziest video that I've seen all day. It was unearthed by Jordan Schachtel. You guys know I'm a huge fan of his work. You can subscribe to all of his investigative reporting at uh, the dossier at .substack.com, but After yesterday's Republican debate, there were a lot of comments, especially online, about the moderators, because the moderators asked such dumb questions, yet they were supposed to be from Fox News. They were handpicked, actually, by the RNC. They were supposed to be Republicans. Uh, Dana Perino, specifically, I think one of her clips went viral when she asked all the candidates who they would vote off the island. I don't even care about all of that. I wanna show you this video of Dana Perino from two weeks ago. You think that these are conservatives, because the RNC handpicked them as moderators. You think they're conservatives because they work at Fox News. No, 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 no. This is Dana Perino two weeks ago at the Clinton Global Initiative. Yes, the Clinton Global Initiative, it personally introducing at the podium, Hillary Clinton as, and I quote, the amazing Hillary Clinton. Take a look at this.
2: Of our organization with some that you are here to see the amazing, Secretary Hillary Clinton. Here she is.
1: The amazing Hillary Clinton, and look at how she's she's embracing her. That's not the embrace of a journalist who's simply greeting a subject. That is the embrace of a fangirl. You know what this means? You know what this tells me? This tells me that it wasn't an accident that these questions at the debate were stupid. It wasn't an accident that they didn't say anything about January 6th, anything about the weaponization of the Department of Justice pretty much nothing about COVID and the tyrannical um, dictates that were imposed on us. This is who Fox News and the RNC want to question the Republican candidates because Fox News and the RNC don't want actual conservative candidates for president. They don't want a authentically conservative nominee for president. They don't even want a real conservative as president. They just want a uniparty elitist. And that's, I mean, we saw that with their questions, but how much more proof do you need? Dana Perino introducing Hillary Clinton at the Clinton Global Initiative as the amazing Hillary Clinton. Case closed. Meanwhile, in the House of Representatives, the House started their impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden, and they held their first hearing yesterday. And this was Congressman Jim Jordan's opening statement to start off this public inquiry. Take a listen.
3: Pale as old as time. Politician takes action that makes money for his family and then he tries to conceal it. Never forget four fundamental facts. Hunter Biden gets put on the board of Burisma. Gets paid a lot of money. Hunter Biden's not qualified, fact number two, to sit on the board. Not my words, his words. He said he got on the board because of the brand, because of the name. Fact number three, the executives at Burisma ask Hunter Biden to weigh in and help them with the pressure they are under from the prosecutor in Ukraine. Fact number four, Joe Biden goes to Ukraine on December 9th, 2015, gives the speech attacking the prosecutor that starts the process of getting that guy fired. Those facts, by the way, are consistent with what the confidential human source told the FBI and the FBI recorded in the 1023 form, the same form that the Justice Department didn't want to let this committee see. And all those facts, all of that was further confirmed yesterday with the information that the Ways and Means Committee released from the whistleblowers Shapley and Ziegler. Here's a communication from Hunter Biden to an executive with Burisma. Devin and I do feel comfortable with Blue Star uh, strategies and the ability of Sally and Karen to deliver. Hunter Biden put Burisma in in touch with Blue Star strategies. What were they going to deliver? Well, that was in a communication released yesterday as well. U.S. officials in Ukraine and in the United States need to express support for Burisma and Nikolai Zalsevsky. To the highest level decision makers, the president of Ukraine, the president's chief of staff, and the prosecutor general. That's what they were going to deliver. And was they, were they successful? The interior minister confirmed that Zolachevsky is no longer wanted. We won in less than a year. Communications between the folks at Blue Star and Eric Sherwin who was Hunter Biden's business partner. Uh, uh, partner, Awesome work. Congratulations to you guys. Those are the communications. That's what they got done. And remember, when this happens in October 2016, when they when the pressure is taken off, the case is dropped against Olitschevsky. This is the second prosecutor. Joe Biden fired the first one. The second prosecutor comes in, drops the charges. That's exactly what they wanted done. And the final step, the final step, is the Biden Justice Department tries to sweep it all under the rug. They slow walk the investigation. They let the statute of limitations lapse for the most important years, 14 and 15, the burisma years when all that income's coming in. They try to put together this sweetheart deal and get it past the judge. And we learned yesterday in the search warrant, applica- in the search warrant examining Hunter Biden's electronic communications, they weren't allowed to ask about political figure one Political figure number one is the big guy, is Joe Biden. And they would have gotten away with it all. They would have gotten away with it all, except for two brave whistleblowers who sat in those seats two months ago and told their story. And their story has stood up. Two brave whistleblowers and a judge in Delaware who said, we're not going to let this happen. That's why we're here today. That's why this inquiry is so darn important. It's it's a the oldest story in the world, and those are the facts. I yield back.
1: So what's really interesting here is, we always say that Hunter Biden was the bag man because he was selling access to Joe Biden. It's actually worse than that. He wasn't selling access to Joe Biden. He was selling America's foreign policy because access to Joe Biden might be like a phone call or a conversation, but what he was actually selling is the ability to change the foreign policy decisions of the United States government as it pertains to whoever was paying Hunter Biden. That's a hundred times worse than what we thought. And they had an impeachment witness, an expert witness, come and talk about the legality of these charges because impeachment's interesting. It doesn't have to be a criminal conviction. It doesn't have to be a violation of a statute to qualify as a high crime and misdemeanor, which is the threshold for impeachment. And the expert witness had something very interesting to say. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com.
2: Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: So then we have the expert witness who testified in front of the House in their impeachment inquiry, this opening hearing of the impeachment inquiry. And this witness was testifying from a legal perspective because impeachment doesn't have to be based on a conviction of a crime or a criminal statute. It It's high crimes and misdemeanor is the threshold for impeachment. And according to Jonathan Turley, that threshold has been met. Take a listen to what he said.
3: Last week, the attorney general told us that Weiss had the authority because I promised him he would have the authority if he asked it. That seems to me to be something different. It's what he said to the Senate. He's got full authority, no problem. Last week, he told the House Judiciary Committee he had authority because I promised if he come talk to me, I would give him the authority that I already told the Senate he had. You see a concern there with false statements coming from the biden justice department well there is a concern you
5: don't have to prejudge the evidence to say that obviously this is part of the inquiry and what i don't understand is the opposition to the inquiry itself it seems to me the test is Would the alleged conduct, if proven, establish impeachable offenses? And is there a credible basis for those allegations? I think the answer is clearly yes, that there is a basis uh, to look at the president's conduct without prejudging whether that qualifies
3: at the beginning of that inquiry as an article of impeachment. And let's be clear, you don't need a full vote of the House to proceed in an impeachment inquiry phase of our constitutional duty to do oversight. In fact, the Democrats did it. Four years ago, I was in an impeachment deposition run by Adam Schiff in the bunker in the basement of the Capitol, and I went to the floor. So I'm in an impeachment deposition, and I went to the floor to vote to vote on opening an impeachment inquiry. They did the same darn thing because you have that authority as a Congress when the Speaker of the House makes that designation.
5: Nancy, uh, the Speaker Nancy Pelosi did in fact initiate the impeachment. In some cases, then you have a later vote. I've said in my testimony I consider that the best practice to have a vote of the house but the court that was referenced earlier looked at this and said that the constitution does not require resolution actually said if you look at all the impeachments often there wasn't a resolution that doesn't mean it's not a good practice but the constitution itself does not require such a resolution
1: So that's really interesting, of course, because a couple of the Democrats' arguments against this impeachment inquiry is that there hasn't been a full House vote. Well, this constitutional expert testifies that the Constitution doesn't require it. It sounds like he personally believes that the House Republicans should do it, and I think that's a fair argument that you could make, but it's not necessary in order to proceed here. Now, what's doubly interesting about Jonathan Turley's um, testimony is that the left isn't, isn't presenting what he said accurately. They're focusing on one sentence that he said after he told Jim Jordan that there's certainly evidence enough to open the inquiry. He later said, quote, I do not believe that the evidence currently meets the standard of a high crime and misdemeanor needed for an article of impeachment. And that sentence, without any context, just that narrow sentence, is being used in all the leftist headlines. I mean, anywhere that you look, you open the New York Times, the Washington Post, Politico, you open CNN, MSNBC, they all are quoting Jonathan Turley taught saying that specific line but the interesting part of Jonathan Turley's prepared statement his prepared opening statement as he was differentiating between what is necessary to be a to open a valid inquiry versus how you would convict someone or vote or vote to impeach someone and he was separating due process meaning that you don't impeach someone without going through the due process with what would be necessary as a threshold to open this impeachment inquiry. So the left is deliberately, deliberately misrepresenting his statements because they want you to think that the House GOP's own witness said that this wasn't enough to impeach Joe Biden. Fortunately, a Republican Congresswoman, Nancy Mace, Nancy Mace slammed the left
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: So then we have Congresswoman Nancy Mace responding to the Democrats' claims, their false claims, that this is just Republicans trying to target Joe Biden because we don't like Joe Biden because he's a Democrat and there isn't any evidence that there was any wrongdoing.
2: This is Congresswoman Mace's response. 2019. There's no formal constitutional or statutory or even the House rule for how an impeachment inquiry is to begin. And so it means different things to different people. I don't want to hear another word from the left or anyone across the other side of the aisle about impeachment inquiry. This is complete and total hypocrisy this morning. Today, we're going to bring the facts. Today, we are going to bring the evidence in 2017 the Joe Biden family teamed up with Chinese company CEFC to make millions off of granting access to Joe Biden. Hunter even arranged for Joe Biden to share office space with the CCP-aligned company CEFC. My Democrat colleagues say none of this is relevant because Joe Biden wasn't vice president while his family did these shady deals. Turns out that's complete and total bullshit. It's a lie. Hunter Biden referred to access to his father as the keys to his family's only asset. Those words are going to come back and haunt Hunter Biden and his family forever. Yesterday, the Ways and Means Committee released an FBI memo on the interview they had with Tony Bobulinski, a former Biden partner in crime. I'll read a bit of that right now. The work conducted by CEFC, Gilear, Walker, Hunter Biden, James Biden, and Yee over the preceding two years was discussed in detail. In particular, CEFC was closing significant investment deals in Poland, Kazakhstan, Romania, Oman, and the Middle East during this period of time. Period of time is in reference to the years 2015 and 2016, when guess what? Joe Biden was vice president. As an aside, Rob Walker in previous testimony also confirmed that Joe Biden attended a meeting with the head of CEFC. So now we know CEFC was working with the Biden family while Joe Biden was vice president. And I'll continue reading from Tony Bobolinski 's report which says, and I quote Bobulinski, "...Hunter Biden and James Biden did not receive compensation because Joe Biden was still vice president during this time period. There is a concern it would be improper for payments to be made to Hunter Biden and James Biden by CEFC due to its close affiliation with the Chinese government." Hunter Biden and James Biden both wanted to be compensated for the assistance they had provided to CEFC's ventures. In particular, they believe CEFC owed them money for the benefits that accrued to CEFC through its use of the Biden family name to advance their business dealings. The Bidens, coincidentally, were paid over a million dollars by CCP-affiliated Chinese company CEFC shortly after Joe Biden left office as vice president. Okay, Now we'll stop we know it there. why, because it was— Let's we'll stop it right there. This is
1: the thing about—this is the thing about selling access. This is the thing about this type of conspiracy is that the people that are committing the wrongdoing understand what a footprint of that wrongdoing looks like. And so they try to dodge it. And what the Democrats are doing here is they're trying to say, well, the obvious footprint wasn't there. Biden didn't get money while he was vice president. Well, yes, maybe he didn't because he knew that that would be a red flag when he was vice president. So they simply delayed the payments until after he was vice president. But that doesn't mean that he didn't sell access to, that Hunter didn't sell access to Joe while he was vice president. It doesn't mean Joe didn't change his foreign policy decisions, our government actions towards foreign countries based on, the promise that Hunter Biden would get paid after Joe was out of office. Democrats think we're too stupid to notice this, including AOC, who absolutely freaked out at the idea of, the, of this impeachment inquiry being open. Take a look at this, if
4: you can stand it. The impeachment inquiry, any impeachment inquiry, regardless of party, is an extremely serious matter. Professor Gerhardt, in the impeachment inquiry under um, into, into President Clinton, were there key fact witnesses that were presented in, during those proceedings?
5: There were not in the House.
4: Mm-hmm. In the Senate, were there any? There were. There were in the Senate. Now, in the impeachment uh, in, in the impeachment investigations with, uh, with President with respect to President Trump, were there key material fact witnesses in the House? Y- yes, ma'am. There were. Are there any key material fact witnesses here today? No, ma'am. None. And so we are wasting our time. When we talk about a threshold of an impeachment inquiry, was there a House floor vote that had a majority of members of Congress that opened an impeachment inquiry into President Clinton? There was. There was. Was there a full House floor vote uh, opening an impeachment inquiry into President Trump?
5: In 2019.
4: Is there one here for this one?
5: Not for this one.
4: There is not one here for this one. This is an embarrassment. <laughs> an embarrassment to the time and people of this country. And I would ask that the chair and I would ask that this committee elevate to the promise of our duties here and, and comport ourselves with the consistency and practice that is required of our seats and our duty and our, our oath. To our, to our responsibilities here. And with that, I yield back. Thank sure. you.
1: I like how that last sentence, she sounds like Kamala Harris. It sounds like she just took words that she's heard smart people saying and put them together in a word salad. So her biggest problem is that the first day of the House impeachment inquiry, there weren't witnesses, even though there also weren't material fact witness, witnesses in the House at all during the Clinton impeachment inquiry. Okay, so that's a stupid argument. Believe me, the House will have material fact witnesses, just like they already have Devin Archer. They already have Tony Bobolinsky. They already have these other whistleblowers who who have presented evidence of the facts that are, that are being claimed right now. This is not a witch hunt. You can identify a witch hunt, you know, if it comes from the Democrats, and it's aimed at Donald Trump here. And then, of course, she's trying to make it seem like the Constitution requires a full House vote, which, as Jonathan Turley, the constitutional expert, um, Already established, it is not constitutionally necessary. But then we had a Democrat congresswoman named Jamie Crockett who made what I thought was the most hilarious argument in Biden's defense. They don't know what to say, right? Because all the evidence is out there. We've seen Hunter Biden's um, laptop. We've seen his text messages. We've seen the email that says, I'm saving the money for the big guy. We saw his text message from about a month and a half ago, or it was revealed about a month and a half ago, where he threatened. Um, he threatened someone, one of his business partners, and said, you know, my father this, my father that. And two days later, he got $5 million in his bank account. Like, we have this evidence. Democrats know that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden are corrupt. They just don't care because Joe Biden is pushing their agenda in the White House at the same time. And so they've resorted to this. As I as I said, this is probably the most hilarious um, response that I've seen from any Democrats. This is Democratic Congressman Jamie Crockett saying... Uh, explaining away Joe Biden's behavior towards Hunter Biden. Take a look at this.
4: Professor Gerhardt, just, just to be clear, as my colleagues have even tried to provide evidence, which they're not the ones to provide evidence, have you ever heard them say, if, since we've been sitting here for I don't know how long?
5: Yes, I, I, um, I've been taking a tally
4: Oh, okay. Can you show Um, us? Can you tell us what the tally is? More
5: than 35 times the Republican witnesses and Republican members of the committee have used the word if.
4: Thank you so much Um, for that. Because honestly, if they would continue to say if or Hunter and we were playing a drinking game, I would be drunk by now. But I will tell you what the president has been guilty of. He has unfortunately been guilty of loving his child unconditionally. And that is the only evidence that they have brought forward. (laughs) And honestly, I hope and pray that my parents love me half as much as he loves his child. Until they find some evidence, we need to get back to the people's work, which means keeping this government open so that people don't go hungry in the streets of the United States. And I will yield.
1: The most hilarious argument, oh, Joe Biden, the only thing he's guilty of is loving his son unconditionally. Because that's what you do when you love your child unconditionally. You send them with a bag, an empty bag, to foreign countries and tell them to bribe foreign, sometimes hostile foreign nations into giving you money in exchange for access to the family and decisions that would be altered related to foreign policy based on how much money they gave your son. Talk about an undying, unconditional love. Parents around the country, take note. Joe Biden is the perfect example of a father. Maybe you too can one day aspire to have a son who is a crackhead, films himself doing drugs and having sex with prostitutes, fathers who many, how many children with how many strippers, and then sells the United States of America to the Chinese Communist Party. What a father, what a guy, what a guy. And this of course just shows you the desperation of the Democrats. They are so desperate to distract from what Joe Biden did, what Hunter Biden is doing, that they are willing to resort to this. And by the way, the funniest part of that was at the end, she was like, it's our duty to keep the government running. Well, the reason that there's this disagreement about the spending bills in the House of Representatives is because the Democrats wanna send more money to Ukraine. What happens if we spend more money in Ukraine? Well, it devalues the US dollar, which causes inflation to go up, which means it's harder for the people this Congresswoman claims to care about to buy food for their table, to put gas in their car. It harms their pocketbooks, and yet, She doesn't seem to care about that. She only cares about the Bidens. All right, so the Republicans, I don't know if the Republicans will be successful in this impeachment inquiry. I like to see it, but I do feel a little skepticism about um, Republicans' history of follow through when it comes to stuff like this. And I'll tell you why in just a second, because 18 Republicans in the House on a separate issue um, voted in a way that just infuriates me on a really critical culture war issue in our country, So the reason that I do feel some skepticism in House Republicans, even as they finally launched this impeachment inquiry, it's the right thing to do to launch it. There's certainly evidence already that shows that Joe Biden has committed high crimes and misdemeanors by by selling access uh, to foreign adversaries for his own profit. Republicans don't have a good history of follow through. They oftentimes make these allegations for the video clips that go viral or for some kind of political points in Washington, D.C., but they don't. Really follow through. I mean, lock her up is the best example of this. How many Trump rallies, the theme was lock her up, lock her up? It was really Trump's 2016 campaign was a referendum against Hillary Clinton's corruption. And that's one of the reasons that he won. I mean, you could make an argument that Obama's economic destruction played into it as well. And that's true. But it was a referendum on Hillary Clinton's corruption, especially the Democrats who ultimately voted for Trump. Well, We never followed through on that. I worry Republicans won't follow through on this, that they'll stage this just to try to win political points against Biden in the lead up to the 2024 election when really he should be impeached. And the reason that I feel skepticism, the reason that I'm not confident that the Republicans have follow through is because 18 House Republicans this week voted against an amendment on one of the spending bills that would defund drag shows and Pride Month at the Department of Defense. Let me repeat that. 18 House Republicans voted to allow the Department of Defense to pay for drag shows and Pride Month. These people are supposed to be Republicans. You're supposed to be conservative. The Department of Defense, this is the military. Why is the military paying for drag shows and Pride Month? That is not a good use of taxpayer money. We know that drag shows are rooted in Marxist ideology, as is Pride Month. This is something you would think even Democrats would vote against. And yet, 18 Republicans, and this is the list of them on the screen. You can see it's, uh, Representative Buck, Calvert, Chavez Dereamer, Curtis, the De Esposito, Duarte, Fitzpatrick, Garberino, Gonzalez, Joyce, Keen, Kylie, Lalota, Lawler, Mace, Nancy Mace, the video we saw of her earlier, she was great. But she voted against this amendment. Molinaro, Obernolte, and Steele. If you recognize any of those names, if any of these, these representatives are your representative, reach out to them. Like it should appall us as conservatives that these Republicans voted against an amendment that would defund drag shows and Pride Month at the Department of Defense. So this is why I struggle with confidence in believing that the Republicans will follow through on holding Biden accountable, because this is a large segment of Republicans in the United States Congress who won't even acknowledge the reality of the political enemy we face when something so obvious as drag shows and Pride Month for the military? I mean, come on. Believe it or not, Senator John Fetterman actually said something that made sense. I know, there's a first for everyone. And I'm going to show you this video, but I want you to listen very, very closely to his reasoning at the end, because you'll you'll start this video and be like, oh yeah, he's right, that's right, that's right. And then he gives his reason why he made the first statement, and your mind will be blown. Take a listen to this.
4: And let me say, I hope many of our colleagues agree the Chinese government and other US adversaries should own zero, zero agricultural land in our country. I believe that. I mean, they're taking back our pandas. You know, we should take back all of their their farmland.
1: (laughs) Wait a second, wait a second. I, I wanna listen to this again. Okay, so let me just summarize what happened here. Senator Fetterman said something that made sense. He said that the Chinese government or Chinese Chinese government officials should not be allowed to buy up any land in the United States. This makes sense. We've talked about this on the show before. It's crazy to me that Chinese investment companies, which obviously, because their businesses in China are tied to the Chinese Communist Party, would be allowed to own any American land. Obviously, we shouldn't let them do that. That's a national security risk. They're trying to subvert our country from within. Why would we let them own our land? So I'm listening to this, I'm like, oh wow, Fetterman, actually making sense for one, but then wait. Then you hear the end, he gives his reasoning, he goes, yeah, the reason we shouldn't let him do this, the reason we should take back our farmland is because they're taking back our pandas. And I was like, what? What, listen, to, I wanna listen to this again because it's just so funny. Listen for his panda comment. Rebecca, can we play this again?
4: And let me say, I hope many of our colleagues agree the Chinese government and other US adversaries should own zero, zero agricultural land in our country. I believe that. I mean, they're taking back our pandas. You know, we should take back all of their, their farmland.
3: <laughs> I mean, if you
1: weren't convinced already that the Chinese shouldn't own farmland because they want to take over our nation, maybe you'll be convinced because they're taking back our pandas. So let's let's take back our farmland since they're taking back their pandas. Funniest darn thing he has ever said, my word. So last week, Senator Chuck Schumer abolished the dress code rule in the Senate, so that's why Fetterman is allowed to dress like a slob on the Senate floor. And there's been backlash against this, actually from both sides of the aisle. Maybe Republicans have been louder in their opposition to this because it's so disrespectful and demeaning of the United States Senate for him to show up dressed like worse than a gym bum. Uh, But the Senate collectively overrode Chuck Schumer and established a formal dress code. This is from the Daily Wire. The U.S. Senate passed on Wednesday a formal dress code, putting an end to the brief reign of the Fetterman Rule, named after Senator John Fetterman and his penchant for casual attire. Well, that's the nicest way of saying that he dresses like a bum. Senators approved the resolution by unanimous consent, meaning no member objected to passing it through the expedited process, codifying what were effectively longstanding expectations that senators wear business attire on the Senate floor. This was Chuck Schumer. Though we've never had an official dress code, the events over the past week have made us all feel as though formalizing one is the right path forward. Yeah, changing your mind there, Chuck? I wonder why that is. Is it because of the tremendous backlash because everyone sees you indulging this man-child who can't even wear pants to work? Senator Manchin said, uh, or no, the bipartisan resolution was put together by Senators Joe Manchin and Mitt Romney. It's called the Shorts Act. I love the acronyms for some of the legislation that that Congress passes. The Shorts Act said men must wear, quote, a coat, tie and slacks or other long pants on the Senate floor and the Senate's sergeant at arms will enforce the dress code unless two thirds of the chamber vote for a change. This is Manchin's comment. Just over a week ago, we all learned that there were not, in fact, any written rules about what senators could or could not wear on the floor of the Senate. So Senator Romney and I got together and we thought maybe it's time we finally codify something that was the precedent, precedented rule for 234 years. So funny. It's it's, it's actually, I mean, it is funny. There's no there's no question that it's funny, but it's a little infuriating that the Senate can get, to get, get their act together and pass something like that so quickly. And yet when there's things that actually matter, what do they do? Nothing, they do nothing whatsoever. So I had another comment or I had another thought about the debate, the Republican debate from this week from Wednesday night. So there was a clip that we didn't play when we were doing our analysis, our post-debate analysis, that became more relevant the next day. It became more relevant yesterday on Thursday because of the New York Times' response to it. So if you're watching on YouTube, you're not going to be able to see this part because YouTube has terms of service that prohibit us from even speaking about this topic. So you can join us at rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. I'm not trying to put this beyond a paywall, it's perfectly free, but YouTube are censors and we wanna stay on YouTube if we possibly can. So we're gonna talk about this and it's worth following along because it's quite funny, but you will have to go to rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. So now that you've been forewarned, we will probably go silent for a moment on YouTube. Uh, as I say, be forbidden. Vivek Ramaswamy was talking about the transgender ideology during the Republican debates and he accurately identified transgenderism as a mental illness. This is the clip itself. Take a look at this first.
3: I have to be very clear about this.
0: Transgenderism, especially in kids, is a mental health disorder. We have to acknowledge the truth of that for what it is. And I'm sorry, it is not compassionate to affirm a kid's confusion. That is not compassion, that is cruelty. So I will ban genital mutilation or chemical castration under the age of 18.
1: Okay, so this is not that controversial of a comment because it's common sense, it's reality. You're not allowed to say that on YouTube. You're not allowed to say anything related to transgenderism and mental health or you will be censored, you'll get a strike, which of course is why we're talking about this only on Rumble. So this happened, I heard it, I saw it in the debate, we all did, I was like, oh good. You know, One of them is speaking out strongly um, in favor of reality. You guys know my feeling about Vivek. I'm not sure that he believes this or not. I'm not sure whether to trust him or not. I do appreciate him saying this. A lot of people saw him say this, so that's good. Well, the next day on Thursday, the New York Times put out a fact check. They might've even put it out Wednesday night, actually. It might've been a real-time fact check, but it went viral on Thursday following the debate. And they fact checked this and read this. So this is what they're fact checking, his, his comment. Transgenderism, especially in kids, is a mental health disorder. They cited that to Vivek Ramaswamy. They then say, this is false. So fact checked by New York Times, but listen to what they write. Being transgender, according to the New York Times, is not a mental health disorder. Many transgender people experience gender dysphoria or psychological distress as a result of the incongruence between their sex and their gender identity. Gender dysphoria is a diagnosis in the Psychiatric Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders and can be given to children, adolescents, or adults. What the heck, wait a second, wait a second. So it's not a ha- mental health disorder, says the New York Times, but it is a diagnosis in the DSM-5. Wait a second, is there a contradiction there? Don't they read what they write? Do they not see that they have completely contradicted themselves? They Honestly, they probably don't even recognize it. They're so intellectually compromised by this ideology, but I think it's hilarious. I actually appreciate that they did that because it made Vivek's comments go viral again, so even more people sell the truth about what transgenderism really, truly is. The other thing that was trending on X the day after the debate was Porky Pig, and at first I was like, oh, what is this? Is this something that I don't, I don't get? Um, or is this some pop culture reference that I missed? And I clicked on it and Porky Pig was trending because of Chris Christie's attempted insult, we'll call it, of Donald Trump when Chris Christie called him Donald Duck. And the worst insult on the face of the earth, so embarrassing, so awful. Well, apparently X, formerly known as Twitter, were like, yeah, it's funny that you would call someone Donald Duck there, Porky Pig. And this is trending higher than Donald Duck. So to say that it backfired on Chris Christie is just, just a smidge funny, just a smidge funny. I don't I don't understand why Chris Christie is running for president. He's just running on this anti-Trump vendetta. He's obviously not gonna win. He's already been governor. I don't know what he wants or what he's pursuing in life besides another, another table full of donuts. But the fact that Porky Pig was trending hilarious, absolutely hilarious. You'll also notice, and I didn't I didn't talk about this yesterday, but I do think it's worth talking about, that nowhere in the debate did anyone mention January 6th or the weaponization of the federal government. And I don't solely blame the moderators for this. They should have asked about it, of course, because this is one of the most important issues in our country right now. It's an issue that the Republican base cares about. Uh, Fox News fired Tucker Carlson over coverage about it, so maybe that's why the Fox News moderators didn't mention it. Uh, maybe the RNC didn't want to talk about it because the RNC just wants elitists and not conservatives. But what I was really disappointed by is that none of the candidates brought it up on their own. Like when you're preparing for a debate, you don't just prepare answers that are direct answers to the question, right? Like you're not just spitting out facts that exist on your website. When you're asked a question in any kind of interview or any kind of debate, you get to decide what, what you want to say. So if it's a dumb question, you can answer whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. You don't just have to answer like yes or no. You can bring up a topic if you feel that the topic is relevant, even if the question isn't related to it. And I, frankly, was quite disappointed that none of these Republican candidates, when they were asked stupid questions, like for example, when Dana Perino said, which of your fellow candidates, would you want to vote off the island? Why didn't one of the candidates step up and be like, I can't believe you're asking me this when you haven't asked me about January 6th, when you haven't asked me about all of these January 6th defendants that are still in pretrial detention that have been sentenced to two decades in prison, some of whom weren't even at the Capitol when when the rioting happened. I can't believe you're not asking me about the weaponization of the DOJ, how they've labeled parents as domestic terrorists just for challenging school boards. These candidates have in their power. I mean, this was a long debate. It was two hours. All these candidates got quite a bit of time to talk. And I know there was a lot on the stage, but if you add up the amount of time that they talked, there was plenty of time to bring up topics that these candidates felt the American people and the Republican base should hear. And yet they didn't. And I find that disappointing because what I want in a politician, and maybe we should do an entire episode about the ideal Republican candidate, basically this unicorn that we want to run for president, how he would behave, what he would say, the policies that he would promote. Maybe we should create this... um, this fantasy politician in a whole episode. And then we should have that as the standard upon which we judge all of the presidential candidates who actually don't deserve our votes and won't save our country. So maybe we should do that. But it's very disappointing and disheartening to me that none of these candidates brought this up on their own, even though it seems to me they had plenty of opportunities. I mean, they wasted time talking about Nikki Haley's Curtain Gate, That was, I mean, listen, I'm very critical of Nikki Haley because I think she's never met a war that she doesn't like. But the curtain gate thing was a deliberate attack by the New York Times that was so thoroughly debunked. She didn't buy these expensive curtains. They were purchased by the Democrat who held her office before her in the Obama administration that even the New York Times issued a correction at the bottom of that article saying we shouldn't have put Nikki Haley's name or her photo associated with with this story, it wasn't accurate to associate her with it and we have retracted it. Tim Scott spent his time, he has this valuable time in front of the Republican base at this debate and he spent it bringing that up instead of the weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI and what's happened to the January 6th defendants and even the charges against Trump. I mean, how hard would it have been for one of these candidates to say, listen, we all wish that Trump was here and we'd like to challenge him to a debate, but let's get one thing straight, we're on the same side. He is the target of a witch hunt, and because they're going after him, just because he's a political opponent doesn't make us applaud that. We know that he is simply the next one standing in the way, that it's him first, then us, and then you. None of them said that. They all had the opportunity, and none of them took that opportunity, and I find that very disheartening. So like I said, maybe we'll do a full episode creating our fantasy president of the United States and try to hold all of these candidates to the standard of what the perfect politician and president ought to be. In the meantime, if you haven't gotten your copy of my book, Hide Your Children, Exposing the Marxist Behind the Attack on America's Kids, then you obviously aren't looking hard enough at this screen because we've got just a couple of them on display here, just in case you forgot or just in case you looked past one, you could see the other one, you looked past the other one, and we got 10 more on display. So go to hideyourchildrenbook.com or Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or walk into the local bookstore and ask them. Also, guys, please leave me five-star reviews on Amazon because we know, if it's not today, it'll be tomorrow, that the leftists will start spamming my book page with all kinds of one-star reviews because they know it'll deprioritize in the Amazon algorithm if it doesn't have a high five-star rating. So if you've bought it and you like it, leave me a review. You can write a comprehensive one. You can just write a short one that says, I love this book. It's valuable. Give me five stars and let me know what you think. One of the most interesting parts of Publication Day to me wasn't just, oh, this huge project coming to fruition. It was being able to hear your thoughts about it. I know I challenged the prevailing Republican narrative on how we should fight back against all of this Marxism, and I know that it's a new way of thinking about politics for even a lot of conservatives. I mean, I'm relatively new to this way of thinking. It has been a slow evolution of my thought in the past five, six years, probably coming to a culmination only in the last two or two and a half years. And I want to hear what you think. I want your feedback and your thoughts. So get your copy at hideyourchildrenbook.com or Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And then let me know what you think of the book. You can do that on Twitter, now known as X. I'm Liz underscore Wheeler. You can do it on Instagram. I'm official Liz Wheeler. You can do it on my website at lizwheeler.com or in the comment sections of any of these videos on YouTube or on rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. I appreciate you all. You all have been wonderful buying this book and this week has been a whirlwind that I am so grateful for. So on that note, thank you for watching as always. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading my book. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.